Well, amen. Let's look in uh, Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2, and we're going to begin reading in verse 8. Of course, remember, uh, Tuesday night is New Year's Eve noon, isn't it? It's Christmas Eve. Amen. I'm getting in a rush for the new year, I guess. Amen. So be sure to be here at 6 o'clock on Tuesday night for our candlelight service. Then the following week, New Year's Eve, it'll be at 7 o'clock. So it's that would be great to, you don't want you to miss out on anything. It would be a great time of worship and praising our God. I want to share a message just simply entitled Good Tidings out of Luke chapter 2 in uh, verse 8. And we'll read down to verse 20. It says, There were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were go gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which is come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste, and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger, and when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. Let's pray. <clears throat> God, we're so thankful uh, to be able to enter into this time of the year to celebrate the birth of Christ. We're thankful as brothers and sisters in Christ, we can gather together tonight, Lord, and rejoice in the goodness of our God and know that we have a uh, blessed message to be able to share with others. Uh, we're thankful for the, the experience that the shepherds had as the angels announced the birth of Christ. And I pray, Lord, you would help us to seize the opportunities that we have uh, to be able to announce to those that we come in contact with, friends and family and co-workers, Lord, wherever it may be, uh, to be able to give them the good news, the good tidings that a Savior has been born. And so, Lord, bless the preaching of the Word of God tonight, and we'll give you the praise and glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Our text verses, verse 10 says, and this shall be a, no, that's verse 12. Let me read verse 10. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. And so we want to take our message out of that verse, good tidings. We have good tidings to share with the world that is looking desperately for some type of sense of security and hope, good tidings. You know, it's only three days away from Christmas. About time for me to start shopping for Christmas, amen? But anyway, there's only three days left. My wife always gets mad at me because on Christmas Eve, I'll run in the store real quick and try to find something to buy. That's when you get the deals, you know? But anyway, I remember years ago, 
it was after after Christmas they had all these sales and and you know 60 70 percent marked off and all that I told my wife I said what's the sense of buying stuff before Christmas let's wait till afterwards and then we'll go buy the presents and it'll save a whole lot of money she didn't like that idea I don't know I just think differently you know when it comes to this matter of spending money but anyway good tidings uh, three days we're going to be celebrating Christmas and we have great opportunities to be able to tell people about Christ whether it's in the busy malls or whether it be on our job or whether just socially interacting with people, we have good tidings to share. Uh, it, was, it becomes very busy at this time of the year. Uh, traffic gets crazy. The other day it was raining. I was trying to go somewhere and it just, uh, people are driving nuts, you know, and all this traffic out on the road. And I'm like, just stay home. I got somewhere I got to go and something I got to do. I don't know why everybody's on the road the same time I'm on the road, you know. And But anyway, everything gets uh, very hectic and very busy. What well, was no different in the time when Jesus was born? Bethlehem was full of people. That's why Mary and Joseph could not find a place, an inn for them to be able to stay because of the fact of the, the uh, uh, taxing that was required. People had to return to their home cities, and Bethlehem was full, and, and people were uh, uh, going there to be counted and be uh, uh, on the census, to be able to know what taxes had to be offered. And in the midst of all this hustle and bustle and turmoil that, that's going on, there's Mary and Joseph coming to Bethlehem, and Mary giving birth to the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And yet, the world moves on. And yet, there's no acknowledgement of it. There's no awareness of what is going on. Uh, there's actually refusal to, you know, to acknowledge the significance and the importance of the child that was going to be born of Mary. Yet, there were shepherds in the field that the angels meet with and announced that there is good tidings that they need to rejoice in because the Messiah, the Savior, has come. So some points here tonight about this uh, good tidings. First of all, it involved a revelation. A revelation in verse 10 through 12. Well, actually, 8 through, 8 through 12. It says, And there, in this, there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. So they were doing that which was normal in their life. It wasn't something strange for them to be in the field. That's what the shepherds did. And then verse 9 says, And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. Now that was unusual. Uh, they, that wasn't a normal occurrence in the middle of the night as they were watching over their flocks. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. That's the good tidings. And um, they experienced something that was abnormal, something that was supernatural as the angels come and announce the birth of Jesus Christ. So the revelation uh, that is uh, given to these shepherds, first of all, I see it identifies a location. Uh, they were in the fields uh, taking care of their sheep. And when God wants to reveal something, there's always a location. There's somewhere God wants to reveal something and do something in someone's heart. And so location, that means that we see here that God calls, God's call comes to where you are. And sometimes people think, well, I need to change my location, change what I'm doing in order to be able to experience God. These shepherds were in the place where they were every night. 
They were doing what they did every night. Uh, their job description has not changed. Uh, their, their expectations of what would take place in the middle of the night as they watched their sheep did not change. But God comes to where they are to reveal to them the birth of the Messiah, the Savior, Jesus Christ. And so location. And I thought of this, how God meets us at the locations where we are. And I thought about this, that he met, God meets with those that are unprepared. In uh, Matthew chapter 4, Matthew chapter 4 in uh, verse 18 and 19, we see God coming to the disciples, Jesus coming to the disciples, an unprepared people. Uh, we often think about the disciples and we think they were all ready and prepared and, and equipped for what Jesus was going to do for them. The reality is in, in Matthew chapter 4, in uh, verse uh, 18, says, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he said unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They were unprepared for the task that God was calling them to do. Uh, they were fishermen. Uh, they had nothing, to, they didn't know anything. They were not students of uh, the Word of God. Uh, they were not preachers. Uh, they were not social workers. Uh, they had no background in their life and in their experiences to prepare them for the job that Jesus Christ would train them to do. And oftentimes we think of, of the call of God and the move of God in our life. We always think that we have, it has to be somebody who is well prepared to do what the will of God and the work of God is. But the reality is God meets us where we are. And when he meets us where we are, he understands we're unprepared for the task that is set ahead of us. I remember God impressing on my heart about going into full-time ministry many years ago. And the first thing I thought of, well, I can't do that. Are you kidding me? I stand up and talk in front of people, preach. I was a Marine. That's different because you command, you you tell people what to do. You don't have to try to persuade them. Now, bless God, when the sergeant says, uh, stand up and forward and march, bless God, they stand up and go forward and marching. Amen. But it was a total different ball game when God was impressing on my heart to be a pastor and to preach the word of God. I was felt that I was completely unprepared for the task that would be needing to be fulfilled. And so when we think of the shepherds, realize this, that God met them where they were with the skill sets that they had, whether it was positive or whether it be negative, God was meeting with them to give them a revelation of the Messiah that was born. And God is the one who can take the unprepared and prepare them to literally turn the world upside down for Christ. And, uh, you know, these disciples, uh, they turned the world, their world upside down with the gospel of Christ. In the first century, Jerusalem was filled with the doctrine of Jesus Christ. How did that take place? By these men who were unprepared and unskilled in the, the process of preaching and teaching the word of God. But that's what God does. He comes to where we are, even though we are unprepared to do what he calls us to do. I see that he meets us, uh, the, not only the unprepared, but the unworthy. In Matthew chapter 8, 
Jesus is going to do a great miracle in healing the servant of the centurion. But in Matthew chapter 8 and verse 8, the centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that thou shouldst come unto my, under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. And then he explains why he had faith to do that. For I'm a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this man, go, and he goeth, and another come, and he cometh, and to my servant do this, and he doeth it. And Jesus heard it, he marveled, and said unto them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And so God's revelation comes to us where we are, even though we consider ourselves unworthy of the call that God may place on us. And the amazing thing is that God is always willing to use the person who looks at themselves as a person who is unworthy of God's commands, unworthy of God's power, unworthy of God's move in our life. God will do something miraculous and special in that person's life. And Jesus Christ healed this centurion's uh, servant because he acknowledged that this centurion who knew that he was unworthy for the Son of God to walk into his house, uh, he did something that was unlikely in uh, uh, raising his son, uh, his servant, I'm sorry, and healing him. So revelation is God will meet us where, he are, where we are when we're unprepared and when we're unworthy. In Luke chapter 19, we see that he'll deal with or reveal to those that are unlikely uh, to do that. I remember when I first got saved and I was sharing with folks that God had called me to preach. I mean, they were shocked. I mean, they'd look at me and say, you, you're going to be a preacher? And I said, yeah, that's right. The most unlikely person to be a preacher is me. And here is a man by the name of Zacchaeus. And in Luke chapter 19 and verse 1, it says, Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And there was a man named Zacchaeus, uh, which was of the chief among the publicans, and he was rich. He sought to see Jesus, whom he was, and could not for the press, because he was little of stature. And ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place and he looked up and saw him, he said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. The unlikely person was Zacchaeus. Uh, this man, it says in verse 2, was a publican. A publican was a tax collector. Nobody likes tax collectors. And uh, it says not only was he a publican, but he was rich. The way they got rich was because they were ripping off the people in the process of collecting taxes. And here is Jesus coming in the press with all the people thronging around him and all the masses of people wanting to see Jesus Christ, the most unlikely person for Jesus to go to his house is Zacchaeus. And God's call goes out to those, goes out to us where we are even where, if we're the most unlikely person for God to show up and do something special in our life. Don't think that God can't work in your life. 
Don't think that God can't do something special in your life. You may be the most unlikely person to do uh, what it is God's putting on your heart. But that's all right because that's how God calls people and how God works in people's lives. So he deals with the unprepared. He deals with the unworthy. He deals with the unlikely. And in John chapter 5, he deals with the unlovely. In uh, John chapter 5 and verse 38. And we read of the man at the pool of Satan in Luke chapter 5 and verse 3. And it says, And in these lay a great multitude of impotent folk. So it describes for us the condition of people. Notice he says, Impotent folk, a blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. I mean, these people are unlovely. Uh, they're not somebody that people would come along and say, boy, I really want to be with that person. No, they had all kinds of diseases, all kinds of sicknesses, all kinds of infirmities. And the angel would come down in a certain season into the pool and trouble the water. And where, whoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in, was made whole of whatever disease he had. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity 38 years. So here's a person who's unlovely. He's not somebody, looks like somebody that uh, someone would want to connect with. He's been in this condition for 38 years. And Jesus, when he saw him lie and knew that he had been a long, now a long time, in this case, saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? Now that's an amazing question to ask. Now this person who for 38 years has been in a state that he cannot control in a condition that people did not want to be around, and Jesus would, do you want to be whole? And then in verse 7, the impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool, but while I am coming, another step is down before me, and Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. Why? Because Jesus Christ will meet the person who is unlovely at the place of their need. And uh, when we think of Je Jesus showing himself, the angels announcing the birth of Jesus Christ to these shepherds, it uh, gives a revelation that God comes to us where we are. And it doesn't matter whether you're unprepared, God can prepare you for that, whatever he calls you to do. doesn't matter whether you feel unworthy, because our worth and our value is not in ourselves, it is in Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter if you're the most unlikely. I've seen, you read through the scriptures, God uses the most unlikely people to bring glory to his name. Throughout history, God has used the most unlikely people to be able to do the ministry and to minister to the others, and then the unlovely. And so the revelation comes to location. It meets us, he meets us where we are. Number two, or letter B, whatever it is there, it's obligation. When God gives a revelation, he places an obligation along with it. When God reveals something to us, we are obligated to take what he reveals and share it with someone else. And so just as much as location is God comes to where we are, obligation is God's will depends on your response to that call. And uh, God will give us uh, uh, his will He'll work in our lives in a great way, but listen, you cannot accomplish the will of God until you're willing to respond to the call of God in your life.
And so the obligation. And I thought of this. Through the scriptures, there's many different salutations uh, that are given by the writers of the different books in the Bible. But I saw, thought of a salutation in Second Peter 3, 9. God is not slack concerning his promises, but is long-suffering us, we're not willing that any should perish. The reality is that if God is not willing that any perish, then that places an obligation on man to respond to the call of God. And so there's the salutation. There's the Savior. And uh, when we deal with this responding to the call of God, the, this, the angels would have to announce the birth of Jesus, and it required of the shepherds to respond to that announcement that there was a Savior that was born. John 3.16 says, For God shall love the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The gift of Christmas is Jesus Christ. And so we must respond to the call of God in our life. They're obligated to do so. Then I just thought of the sinner. Matthew 4.17, Jesus, in the beginning of his earthly ministry, began to preach, and his message that he repeat. He preached, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John the Baptist, when he began his earthly ministry, what did he preach? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so the obligation placed upon the sinner, because Christ has come, the Savior has come in this world, is that the sinner must repent. And so there's an obligation. And then there's the salvation that is experienced. Paul warns in Colossians chapter 2 in verse 8, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the traditions of men and after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. The good news that was announced to the shepherds was that Christ was born. It wasn't an announcement of tradition. It wasn't an announcement of philosophy. It was not an announcement of worldly possessions and experiences. It was Christ because verse 9 says, For in him, that's Jesus, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And so we have the salutation, the Savior, we have the sinner, and then we experience the salvation. And then after that in 1 Thessalonians is the sanctification. This is the process or the, the, the direction that God takes us down the path when we respond to his call in our life. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 3, it says, For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you abstain from fornication, and that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. God wants us to live our lives according to his call in our lives, uh, acknowledging that I am obligated to respond to the call of God to live a life of holiness and sanctification in this world. So the revelation, good news. It's good news because of the fact God came to the shepherds where they were and he uh, called them and identified what they could celebrate and rejoice in that the Savior was born in Bethlehem. And so the revelation. Well, in verse 15 and 16 of our chapter in Luke, we see the celebration. 
And uh, I'm thinking whenever you read in the scripture a revelation from God, there's always rejoicing afterwards. There's always celebration afterwards. And the celebration identifies the, the, uh, the idea of worship. In Luke chapter 2 and verse 15 and 16, it says, And it came to pass, as the angels were gone from them into heaven, the shepherds said one towards another, let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they made with, came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in the manger. Uh, you know, it's just, it's interesting to me, when the announcement of the birth of Christ was made, the shepherds' immediate sense on their heart was, we need to go see this. The immediate response of the shepherds was they, made, they were quick to go and worship and praise the living God. I'm always shocked. I'm always shocked around Christmas time, around Easter time, of how oftentimes so many people just don't go to church uh, because it's Easter or because it's Christmas. And uh, wait a minute, the, you find in the scriptures when the birth of Christ was announced, I mean, people were excited and they moved energetically to go and see this Savior and worship Him and exalt Him. And so I thought of celebration. The celebration that we enjoy is based upon sacrifice. Jesus Christ came in this world as the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. It's based off the fact of uh, what God revealed between Abraham and Isaac back in Genesis chapter 22. Uh, Abraham identified for Isaac that God would provide himself a lamb. And uh, God provided for mankind a sacrifice for our sins. And that's why Jesus Christ came in the world. So our celebration involves that whole aspect of the sacrifice of Christ. But not just that, but humility. You read in Joshua chapter 5 that Joshua worshipped the captain of the host. In a spirit of humility, he would bow down before him. And when you think of Jesus Christ, he is the captain of our soul. He is the God of our salvation. And he is the one that we humble ourselves at his feet. That's why when the shepherds came, they bowed down before Jesus. That's why when the wise men came, they bowed down before Jesus. Our celebration and our worship of Christ at Christmas is in a spirit of humility. But then I thought of confession. You know, in 1 Samuel 15, old Saul disobeyed God. God told him to go in and destroy all the Amalekites. And he kept the best sheep and animals, and he tried to, tried to justify that. He's confronted by Samuel about his rebellion. And uh, old Saul was saying, listen, I did exactly what the Lord told me to do. And Samuel said, well, what is that bleeding of the sheep? What is that baying of the sheep? Uh, you were supposed to kill everything. Why, why did you keep that alive? And Saul had confessed that he had disobeyed his God. And when we talk about worship, we talk about praising the Lord. Uh, we acknowledge the fact that, listen, the sacrifice is Christ that humbles us in his presence where we confess our sins because he is faithful and just forgive all our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness if we'll confess our sins. And so worship, celebration involves confession. And then I thought about corporate. 
And I, I mean, when I say corporate, I mean that the church gathers together to worship God. It's interesting that the shepherds all gathered together to worship Christ. The wise men all gathered together to worship Christ. The body of Christ, the church, uh, gathers together to worship and celebrate the birth of Christ. And then I thought of holiness. Uh, in Psalm 96 and Psalm 99, it speaks about the holiness of God. And Jesus Christ was in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. And so our celebration before the Lord, certainly at Christmas time, is a celebration of the holiness of God. I am holy, therefore you need to be holy. The scriptures reveal that we have an obligation or responsibility to celebrate in the spirit of holiness. And so we see there's revelation. We see there's celebration. In verse 17 and 18 of our text, we see conversation. And uh, um, everything nowadays is all about dialogue. We need to develop a dialogue. You know, whatever it is, whatever political thing they start talking about, well, at least we have dialogue now. And all I see is people talking and talking and never solving anything. You know, somebody's got to make a decision somewhere. But anyway, conversation. Now notice in verse 17, it says, And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child, and all they that heard it wondered at those things which are told them by the shepherds. Conversation. Literally, Christmas time is a great opportunity for us to have conversation. Just talk with people about Christmas. You know, ask them, hey, are you ready for Christmas? You got things ready to go? Uh, do you know? Do you know about Jesus Christ? Just talk to them about the birth of Christ. Notice the conversation that these shepherds had was with clarity. In other words, don't cloud the issue. Christmas is Christ. Christmas is the birth of Christ. And it says here that the shepherds went everywhere uh, talking about and making known the things uh, which was told them. And so clarity, they were very direct in stating the things that were revealed to him. Proverbs 20 and 6 says, Most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. And the shepherds were not going about talking about themselves. They went everywhere talking about Jesus Christ and the things that was revealed to them about Jesus Christ. And so Christmas, let's be clear in our conversation. Uh, let's be direct in who Christ is and what Christmas is about, clarity. And then I see... There was deity. Their conversation involved deity. Because it says here, they uh, uh, made note and brought the saying which was told them concerning this child. Uh, the revelation of this child was that he was the son of God. The revelation of this child is that he was the savior. And so the, the, the shepherds went everywhere declaring the deity of this child that was born, Jesus Christ. Luke one thirty five says, And the angel answered unto her and said, uh, said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also the ho that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And so our conversation at Christmas 
is one that needs to be clear, but it is one that identifies the deity of Jesus Christ. And then not just that, but I see the accuracy in their conversation. Because in verse 18 it says, And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. They were very careful to describe and to tell everything uh, that was revealed to them. You read the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 7 and verse 2, and Jeremiah chapter 11 and verse 6. God was very clear to Jeremiah that he was to preach, he was to proclaim, he was to talk about the things that God revealed to him. Accuracy. Uh, don't fudge the story. Uh, don't, don't leave portions out because you want, don't want to offend somebody. We need to be honest with people and accurate. John 17, 17, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And it's God's word that is true in every point uh, about life and about Christ and about eternity. And so let's be accurate in our conversation at Christmas time. Then I see the last thing here is glorification. Notice in verse 20, it says, The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. Glorification. The word glory just means to magnify or amplify or to lift up or to exalt. And so the shepherds, notice there was an appropriate focus. Glorification involves an appropriate focus. Uh, they glorify, they were uh, returned glorifying and praising God. So appropriate focus. Christmas is not about ourselves. Christmas is about Jesus Christ. Our excitement, our thrill, our celebration, our involvement, our conversations, everything, the appropriate focus is Christ and Christ alone. The, the problem is, is that Jesus Christ gets lost in the experiences and the, uh, the energy and the involvement and the connections that we have at Christmas time when he's the focus of Christmas. It's glorification is to have the appropriate focus. They were glorifying and praising God. But not only that, but it was a comprehensive experience because they told them about all things that they had heard and seen, a compre comprehensive experience. We need to be willing to share not just who Christ is, but our experiences in Christ. You know, there, you know in Acts chapter 5, uh, the believers counted it a privilege to suffer for Christ. And uh, a comprehensive experience of knowing Christ and living for God does involve those times of suffering. James says, think it not strange when you fall into the fiery trials. And the early Christians in the book of Acts counted it a privilege to suffer for Christ, but that comprehensive experience also involves praise that will deliver you. Because Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16 are thrown into the Philippian jail, and uh, as they're thrown into the Philippian jail, that midnight they're singing praises unto their God. It was the rejoicing and the celebration and the singing of the praises unto God in the middle of the night in the prison that delivered them out of that bondage. A comprehensive experience 
is that God is with us and he is praised whether we're in prison, whether we're out of prison, whether we're blessed or whether we're suffering. The shepherds went everywhere telling them all things that they had seen and all things that they had heard. And so a comprehensive experience. Then glorification is an authoritative message. Because it says here that they went uh, and told everything that they had heard and seen. And I love what the last ver uh, sentence says in verse 20. As it was told them. Authoritative message. When you stray from the word of God, you have no more authority to say what you're saying. As a Christian, our authority comes from the word of God. If we keep the message the same as it is in the scriptures, now we have an authoritative message. I don't need to embellish the Christmas story. The Christmas story is exciting enough in what it is how it's described in the scriptures. The Christmas story is impacting enough in people's lives if I just tell them what the word of God has to say. And I remember years ago, I had someone say, man, you just use a lot of scripture when you're preaching. I said, because whatever I say ain't worthwhile listening to. But if I read scripture, then you need to pay attention to what I'm saying. Because the authority that we have in the message that we communicate comes from the word of God. And so these shepherds, I mean, they had a great message to share. The angels came and said, we bring you good tidings. And I'll tell you, there's a lot of lousy things that are going on in the world today, but there's something that's good that's going on in the world today, and it's Christmas. And it's a time that we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. And so let's allow God reveal to us who he is so that we can continue to have a reason for celebration. And, and because of that celebration, you can be excited for the Lord. It'll create a conversation with someone else. And I remember years ago, several years ago, I was over at the hospital visiting somebody, and I don't know, I just was happy in the Lord. And I got in the elevator, and I started, I was just kind of singing a song and humming along, and then I realized what I was doing. Because I get driving down the road, I'm directing music, I'm having a revival meeting in the car. I tell you, people drive by, and they're looking at me, and it's like, there's something wrong with that guy. And, uh, but I was in there, and this woman just stopped, she got in the elevator, she said, well, you're happy. And I said, well, I got something to be happy about. Man, God saved me and gave me new life. And she looked like me. I was like some, some weirdo or something, amen. They don't understand. But they're wanting to know what it is that you have and joy that's in, in your heart as you glorify God. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men to myself. That's why our theme is, he must increase. So let's allow Christ to increase this Christmas as we glorify his name. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for allowing us to be together tonight. Uh, what an exciting time of the year. Lord, we have a great message to give to others. We have great hope to share as we think of all that Christ is and what you've done in our life. And God, uh, we have good news. We have good tidings to share with others. Give us those opportunities. Open up those uh, doors of uh, conversation, Lord, and help us to have a spirit of grace, a spirit of mercy, a spirit of joy and anticipation and excitement about what we experience each and every day of serving and living for a living, powerful, almighty God. 
And so bless us tonight, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's